Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, Danielle Bezalow. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. If you love and support the work that we do, join my crew on Patreon to win amazing prizes like our adorable merch, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, private sessions with yours truly, and incredible sex toys. Go to patreon.com slash sexedwithdb to join my crew. Get discounts at all of my favorite brands at sexedwithdb.com. And follow us on Instagram at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. If you want to partner with us, email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Jennifer Lincoln, board certified OBGYN, and you may know me from social media where I spend a lot of my time educating about everything reproductive health. This podcast is called Let's Talk About Down There, and that's what I'm doing. I am talking about down there with no shame, no stigma, a lot of fun, and a lot of education. And why? Because when we talk about these things, we educate and we empower ourselves. Call in, leave a question, and know that it's okay to have questions about your body, and we're going to answer them. Here are my top three favorite things I love about UberLube. Number one, UberLube makes sex feel a lot more pleasurable. It's as simple yet as powerful as that. Number two, UberLube is recommended by leading doctors and its body-friendly ingredient list is widely used by people with sensitivities to lubricants. And number three, UberLube will not stain clothing or bedding. Any spills can be easily cleaned with detergent and water. Get your bottle of UberLube now with code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. What do I love about my Freya? The incredible razor and clitoral vibrator in one discreet product? Let me count the ways. I love that when I'm already in the shower getting clean, it's super easy for me to grab my Freya and give myself some serious loving. I love that I don't need to get out of bed, clean my toy, and get out of the mood. As soon as the mood strikes, my Freya is right there to play with. And I love the smooth, clean shave it gives. Use code SEXEDWITHDB to get 20% off your Freya. And for a limited time, enter to buy one Freya, get one for your bestie for free. Enter to win at highfreya.com slash sexedwithdb now. We talk a lot about sex education, but when I'm shopping for products to support my sexual wellness, exploration, and expression, I head to the experts at Lion's Den. Lion's Den is an adult retailer with over 50 locations nationwide and hundreds of your favorite brands. They have everything you need to explore and express your sexual side. Right now, you can use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off your purchase in-store and online at lionsden.com. Follow them on social media, at lionsdenadult on Instagram and TikTok for exclusive offers, deals, and giveaways. Want to win your very own Magic Wand Mini? If so, keep on listening. Ooh, it's kind of fun to have your attention. Okay, but let's get into it. Magic Wand, aka the best-selling wand vibrator of all time, has partnered with SEXEDWITHDB to give some Magic Wands away to some lucky winners. How can you participate and enter to win? We want to hear your best magic wand story. Maybe something funny or silly comes to mind. Maybe the magic wand unlocked a world of pleasure for you like it did for me. Whatever it is, we want to hear your story. Go to sexedwithdb.com slash magic wand to learn more and see how you could win your very own magic wand mini. So you're ready to experiment with anal play, but you're not sure where to start. If I were you, I'd start with education and products by a company founded by a doctor who's an expert on anal sex. I'm talking about Future Method. Future Method develops science-backed products and doctor-led education to maximize pleasure, eliminate injury, and empower the way people choose to play in the bedroom. 
They even have a blog that puts education at the forefront on topics both popular and taboo. Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at futuremethod.com. Good morning, Vanessa and Carl. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing this morning? Great. Great. So happy to see you on Riverside. On Riverside. (laughs) On the internet. Um, Yeah, me too. Every time we connect, it very much energizes me and makes me feel excited to connect and chat because I have made you both my friends. Interestingly enough, I kind of reached out to you and was like, hello, can I be your friend? And you were like, I guess so. And so that's our, the nature of our new relationship, I would say. Would you, would you say anything different about that? I think that's, that's the way that I'm kind of kicking us along here, really, you know, wanting to be friends with you both. We are, I can confirm that we are friends. And it was, it was the result of, I think an openness during COVID and people making connections online and sort of initiating relationships that they might not have normally done it, even with people in the same city, which you were when we started our friendship and now that you no longer are. Yeah. So I think it's actually super fun, that sort of outreach. And you were so warm and lovely and we loved having you on the Puberty Podcast. So I love being there. Exciting to be here. Yeah. Cara. Curious about your thoughts about our friendship. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You I have feel, nothing to I add. feel good about our friendship. Fantastic. I do. I feel very good. And I feel especially good that I have Vanessa to reach out those wonderful tentacles on Instagram and TikTok yes. and communicate with people because I don't think you would be in my friend circle if Vanessa oh. hadn't started a dialogue with you. I am notoriously bad at looking at DMs and comments and things like that. And it can look, get overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Look at what I would have missed. So this I'm is it. so glad Vanessa has that skill set. You know, that's why you're a team. That That is exactly 100%. why. And for the people listening, you know, I would love for you all to introduce yourselves. Tell us about your background, your work. Uh, tell the people who you are. Cara, you go first. Oh, I was going to say you go first. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. My name is Cara. Matterson. I am a pediatrician. I was in practice for many years in Los Angeles where I grew up. Yes, I'm a third generation Los Angelino, which is very Ooh. surprising to people. And I left practice in 2008. I started doing a consulting practice in pediatrics where I would just help people kind of understand the bigger picture medical questions they had about their kids and families. And at the same time, I started writing And I wrote mostly parenting books until I stumbled into American Girl. And I was lucky enough to be hired to update the original Caring Keeping book, which was first published in 1998. It turns 25 this year, which is incredible. Happy 25th birthday. And then I wrote four more books in the series, including... Karen Keeping of You 2, and then a book that is actually no longer in print, and I'm fine with that, called The Karen Keeping of Us. It really, it, it, it was okay. But then we got two boy-focused books, Guy Stuff and Guy Stuff Feelings in there. So that's been great. And then as that journey kind of rumbled along, I was traveling all over the country, realizing that there was information about puberty. But there was not much else. There was really, there was no product to make puberty solvable or more positive. And there was certainly limited information beyond 
what was in some printed books. And so I founded a company called Order of Magnitude because everyone grows by an order of magnitude, whatever's right for you. And very, very, very lucky for me, I ended up joining forces with Vanessa on the Puberty Podcast, which we co-host, and then the Awkward Roller Coaster, which is our newsletter, which we co-write. And now Vanessa is very involved at Order of Magnitude running our entire media and and content arm. So I get to be on Zoom or Riverside or FaceTime or whatever app you want Choose your all character. day long with Vanessa. And it is the great thrill of my life. Oh, we really should have been talking about your friendship this whole time. Uh, right? <laughs> you know, oh, I guess we're, we're I should there. mention, I do have two children. <laughs> you are a mom. They are a thrill of my life too. Um, oh. Two teenagers, 17 and 19. So I've lived it, but mostly, you know, it's, it's all the other pieces that have added up to be the puzzle of my life. That's me, Vanessa. Go. Lovely. I am not a pediatrician. <laughs> Let's just start there. <laughs> we, can get, we can get that out of the way. Until this summer, I had never written a book, but Car and I wrote a book that comes out in October called This Is So Awkward, Modern Puberty Explained. I cannot wait to purchase many copies. We had a lot of fun writing it, which I hope comes through in the book itself. It's geared towards adults caring for kids, parents, teachers, coaches, healthcare professionals, sex educators, everything you name it. That's the new part of my work. And I had originally founded a company called Dynamo Girl a decade ago, which was dedicated towards building girls' self-esteem through sports, puberty education, and parent workshops. And we started running puberty workshops because we noticed that the second and third grade girls in our classes were developing breasts and had body odor and had body hair and were going through growth spurts that look a lot like puberty. And then we realized, oh, they are in puberty and it's starting two years earlier than we expected it to. And so I started doing that work from the other side of things and was introduced to Cara through a mutual friend and was like, so honored to be connected (laughs) to her. I was like, I am not worthy to be connected to the author of The Karen Keeping. This is like a very exciting moment. And we just fell in love and get to work together all the time. And then we get to connect with amazing people like you. So my work is mostly focused on consulting with schools on their puberty education, doing parent workshops, and doing speaking. And essentially, our goal is to flip puberty positive through all these different forms of education. And your listeners can understand why we get along so well with you. And yeah, so that's me. I have four kids, ages 12, 14, 17, and 20. I love teenagers. I love working with teenagers. I love parenting teenagers. I think they are awesome and funny and incredible. And we have so much to learn from them. And I am comfortable talking about basically anything, which uh-huh. is the other reason I think we get along so well, Danielle. Agreed. Yeah. We have, I have no, I'll speak, speak for myself. I have very little filter um, in the, the things that I talk about just because I think the embarrassed gene, I don't know if it maybe like hits me later, like after I say it, but it, beforehand it, it's not there. So I'm able to really go for it. A few reasons why I'm really excited to have you both on today. I think like 
in terms of your work and the work you all do together with your book coming out and the Puberty Podcast, we have not had enough content on Sex Ed with DB when it comes to how parents and folks who are caregivers of young people can and should be talking to their youth about sex. I think it's really important that we, you know, talk about all these other aspects of sexual health that are specific to adults because that's usually who listens. But eventually our audience, some of them, if not most, will become parents or are parents. And I think it's really important to share some information and education to them when they can get prepared to do that. That's part of why I'm really excited to have you on. And then in addition to that, I think we don't really talk enough about youth going through puberty and what that's like and some stories that you all have from, you know, your own kids being the parents in that situation or youth that you've worked with. Um, We've had a couple guests who are sex educators like me, and we've talked like briefly about stories in the classroom, but we don't really talk about stories at home. And that's what I really want to touch on today. So thank you both again for being here. I want to, speaking of sex ed as a youth, this is on to you two. I want to know about your sex ed growing up and, you know, when you knew that you really wanted to do this work, like what was your individual or collective path to getting here? Cara, do you want to start? Well, you were closer to sex ed because you're younger than I am. <laughs> so you go. I'll go. I'll dig into the distant memory parts of my brain. <laughs> you're gonna. You're gonna clear away the cobwebs. Yes, I am. Um, while you speak, I, yeah. So interestingly enough, it next month we are actually going to be doing a parent workshop for my high school. Oh my god! Full circle. And I have been thinking about what that intro is going to sound like. And mostly it's going to sound like when I graduated in 1994, if you had told me that I was going to be back here running a puberty workshop, I would have laughed in your face. (laughs) Right. Having said that, I grew up in a home where everything was talked about. I had a very cutting edge mom who was extremely open, some might say too open, about anatomy and physiology and sex and all of that. And she bought me and my brother the um, What's Happening to Me and Where Did I Come From books. And those were like regular sleepover fare. We would like sit together with our friends and read them. So I actually felt pretty educated. And school was, I went to like schools that definitely covered it. I wouldn't say they were like deeply progressive, but I did get some version of sex ed, which in those days and car, I imagine will concur, was mostly about how not to get pregnant and how not to get AIDS. Right. Um, that was really the focus when we were growing up. And there was certainly nothing about pleasure. There was a little bit on STIs. There was really not much actually even about consent in those days. And yeah, so that's my that's my story. I'm very comfortable with uncomfortable topics and I grew up in a house that was and I don't know if you find this Danielle, but people who do this work often come from two camps. One, they grew up in homes where it was talked about and they're really comfortable or they grew up with like very opposite. little, the opposite and are like trying to change the narrative and their own stories by like doing this work. Totally. So, I would be curious. Carb, would you would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I mean, for sure. And same, same. If you had ever told me I would be doing this, first of all, if you had ever told my children I would be doing this, they would really be 
very upset. Um, they're they're over it now, but they're it, like, I beg of you, please do anything else. They're almost really, out of the house. Well, yeah. It's really not easy when your mother is teaching your sex ed class in sixth grade, but you know, grit builders. Um, so <laughs> for me, I had a similar path through. My mom was less open about it than Vanessa's mom, but not by a long shot. She was just a little like. If my mom's chatty, Vanessa's mom's really chatty. So that's how it was about <laughs> sort of body, sex, all that. I went to a similarly progressive school, mine on the West Coast, all girls. I had a teacher named Lenny Wildflower. Um, that was not her given name. That was her chosen name. She's still very much in contact with me. I really adored her. She taught us how to do self-breast exams. I remember all of us laying on the ground with our arms overhead and trying to learn how to do that. We did a poster day with different forms of contraception. Mine was the foam poster. It was a mess. <laughs> um, so there's there was some of that, but just as Vanessa said, it was how not to rather than how to not to suggest that we're supposed to be narrating the sex lives of kids. We're not. We're not supposed to be authoring what it's going to look like. But I think we've learned from people all over the world, one example is the Dutch, that teaching the positive, beautiful, fun, exciting, feel-good parts of sex is as important as teaching STI prevention and pregnancy awareness. And so to that end, I think when I was learning in the 80s, it was a no list. It was like, you know, here's what you don't want. And now I think we've moved to a much better place where there's a no list, but there's a yes list. And that balance feels very important. Agreed. Yeah. I think like similarly for me, it, it, same, same thing of just like, okay, here are the STIs that you shouldn't get. Definitely like HIV and AIDS were prevalent there even in the early 2000s when I was learning sex ed in middle school. It definitely was a lot of here is how not to die from drugs and alcohol. Uh, here's how right. not to be fat and be obese. Like here is not, you know, nutrition, but really it's about the obesity epidemic. Like right. it very little was about like, how do you want to be in this world? And how can I give you the tools to be happy and just a, a normal human being? Can you imagine like, what our lives would be like if that was how adults spoke to us. And they're right. like, no one ever was like, how do you want to manifest your best self in yeah. the world? Like, it was just like, Although, don't, don't. I don't do want to be a buzzkill, but yeah. I do sometimes approach my kids that way because I'm trying to be the most evolved version of myself. And it's, it's a little too big. It's like, well, they're like, that's true. Yeah. Right? They're like, no, You're so they're annoying. not even, they, you know, one of them might have a relationship that, they might be trying to figure out. And when my advice is, I support you no matter what, I just want you to be happy. So what do you want? It feels like the right advice, but the advice that was given to me three decades ago was, can't believe you haven't broken up with him yet. And it was like, that's what you're supposed to do. You do it, you're done, move on. And that limit setting and that sort of austerity wasn't good, but it was a little easier than dig deep into your heart and figure out what you sure. want and then choose your words empathically and then think, right? It's like- What Lenny Wildflower might want. Lenny would have want, what would Lenny do? What would Lenny do? WWLD. Uh, okay, <laughs> we got to move on because we got so many other things to talk about here. But I want to know really like 
the common Q&As that you all get in this, you know, field of expertise that you have with working with parents and caregivers when it comes to how to navigate helping their kid through puberty. I imagine there is a range of questions, but maybe like a top two and like one one each maybe situation. I'm, I'm super curious. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the most important thing is how you just framed that ask because there are the top questions about puberty and then there are the top questions about sex ed. And of course, a lot of people conflate those two things and they're really, really, Not really different. So, you know, I would start with saying the biggest questions that we get are, when is it going to happen? It being anything in puberty, fill in the blank, or no way, you say it's already started, no way, prove to me that it has started. So we can talk about that a little bit. And then as Vanessa would describe them, the logistical questions. So Vanessa, you want to pick up the ball? Yeah. I mean, I think adults get really focused on this sort of meta and the socio-cultural questions around puberty and sex. What we find is that kids are really worried about logistics. Like, what do I do if I get a boner in the middle of class? Or what if I have to change my tampon and I have a male teacher and I'm embarrassed to ask them if I can go to the bathroom? So like very specific what we would think of as very tactical issues are what weigh most heavily on kids. And so one of the things we like to talk to adults about is not dismissing what seems kind of like minutia to us because really for the kids, it doesn't feel like minutia at all. It feels like a really big deal. So part of our training and working with adults is like for them to empathize with what the kids are worrying and wondering about that we're like long past. Like I've put in thousands of tampons in my life, but like for the kid who just- taking thousands out. (laughs) Usually. (laughs) Maybe it's one less. Maybe it's 9.99. There have been moments where I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. We've all been there. We've all been there. So that's one thing. Another question that we get a lot from adults really frequently is, how to talk to kids who are seem like they don't want to talk about it, who are either just quiet, naturally quiet, or are like more aggressively shutting down attempts at conversation. They're aggressively quiet. Aggressively, (laughs) hostily quiet. And that is a question that comes up a ton and is a point of real worry for adults because they then realize they're not feeling successful at having the conversations. And another one that comes up a lot, and we can go deeper on any of these, is um, the porn conversation. Uh, yes. It's a one. huge one because we recommend that by age 10, adults have talked to kids about porn in a very basic way and then let them know that we're available for them to come and ask us any questions. And people are so shocked that it's 10-year-olds because the average age of exposure is like, we're not exactly sure, but we think it's around 12. Right. But for some, that means for some kids, it's nine or 10 or even younger. So that's another big question we get a lot. With the porn question, is it around how do I stop my kid? Or is it once they see it, what do I do? Yes. Right. So it's all of it. It's both end. It's how do I prevent it? And often people are asking, how do I prevent it when my kids are 14 and 15 and 16? And we have to break it to them that if you're looking numerically, chances are 
that you're not preventing. And then what is its impact? They're really worried about the impact. How do I even begin the conversation? Then there's a whole camp that say to us, I don't want to stigmatize it. I don't want to. And that's totally fine. It's the whole conversation around porn. There are two bottom line points. One is let your kids know that you're there to talk about it and you're open to talking about it. That's the most important thing. And the second is let your kids know that it is not anyone else's job, not our job as the adults in their lives and not the pornographer's jobs to write the narrative of their sexual life, that it is their job, that how they have sex, with whom they have sex, all of those pieces should come from them and do not need to be informed by other people. And the reason we frame it that way is that the free porn that young kids see is often violent and aggressive porn. There are lots of types of porn out there, but the free easy access porn is often violent and aggressive. And so if that is writing the narrative for young kids about what sex is, and then they're coming to a sex ed class with one of us, and they think that's what they're going to be educated about is what they saw. Can you imagine going into a sex ed class? Like, I was nervous going into a sex ed class with no idea what sex was. Can you imagine going into a sex ed class thinking that is what sex must be because I've seen it? So the world is telling me this is what it looks like. It's a lot. And so I, I think that's the main reason why parents ask all the time. And it's the main reason why when they don't ask, we still tell them. We are right. very, very... I would say we are aggressive in bringing up the topic of porn over and over and over again in a very gentle way, but like we got to go there, got to go there. Totally. Yeah. I imagine that it is really tricky for parents because they want to be able to teach them if they're learning from you, right? Like the difference between porn and real life sex, but there might be a moment where your kid hasn't seen it and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. So maybe like you don't want to show your kid porn. You're not going to do that. But it's like it has to happen right after the fact. It's, it's a tr tricky timing issue. I mean, we normally recommend that adults start the conversation. It's just like, hey, have you ever heard the word porn or pornography? And then they'll either say yes. And then you say, oh, well, what what do you know about it? Or how would you describe it? Because often kids will say yes because they feel like they're supposed to know what it is. But then when you ask them to define it, it's like totally wrong, which is fine. So then you explain it, you correct it. Because often they've heard of it before they've seen it. You know, someone has an older at sibling or, or they're on the bus or something happens at school. And the issue with a lot of adults say to kids like, you are forbidden from ever watching porn. It's horrible and disgusting and like never, ever, ever, ever. The problem is if we frame it that way, even if we don't want our kids watching porn, is that if they see it or they stumble upon it or someone shows it to them or they seek it out, then which they will happen, which will happen. They are terrified to come to us because we've already made it clear it's totally unacceptable. And so the adults have to walk a fine line between saying, hey, pornography is when people on video or in pictures are doing different kinds of sexual acts. And then, by the way, you have to define what sex is in its various forms. Um, you can't use the word sex and not define it for kids. This is what people are doing. If you ever see it, you can always come to me. Sometimes it can be confusing or even a little bit scary. I am here. It's not appropriate for you to watch at your age. 
This is something adults might choose to do. You know, you make it clear because listen, there's lots of adults who love porn and it's a big part of their sex lives and that's totally fine. But those are adults making adult decisions and kids should know that at their age and at their development, that it's not appropriate. And then as to Carr's point, you can acknowledge that some porn is frightening and confusing Mm -hmm. and getting at that. So those are some of our like top line points that we like to encourage adults to hit. And the most important thing is that you say to a kid, you can always, always come to me. I am always available to talk to you about it. I won't freak out. I won't get mad. Like if you see something or hear something, come and talk to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you mentioned something before about like, you know, if a a girl wants to know like, oh, you know, if I have a male teacher, like how do I go about like the tampon question or like, you know, what do I do? How do I feel not as awkward? And that kind of goes into that idea goes into our next question, which is, I would love for you to talk to me about the concept of teaching boys and girls. And obviously, as we know, and we've talked about this on the puberty podcast, how language is changing. A lot more kids, depending on their circles, are identifying as non-binary, gender non-conforming. But in typical classes of sex ed, right, they usually separate, or they used to, boys and girls, right? And so why is it so important to combine folks and for all genders to learn the same sex ed content instead of separating them? We spent the morning talking about this, actually, before logging on with you, because we run workshops and the workshops are puberty workshops that are geared to all, all genders. And it's one room, one conversation, all genders. The new standard, I call it standard of care because that's the medicine term, but standard in education is moving towards one classroom, one room with an occasional breakout session for kids who are looking for specific information and they're not feeling super open, even as young as sixth grade, fifth grade, fourth grade. Why? why shouldn't all humans know about all human bodies, right? So it's as simple as that. There's nothing shameful about knowing about a body or how a body works. There shouldn't be anything stigmatizing about knowing about how other bodies work. And frankly, the more information we all have, the more prepared we are, the more armed we are to make really smart decisions about how we use our bodies, about how we ask for consent from other bodies. So it's almost laughable to me that we haven't always done it this way. I understand yeah. why we're why we didn't, but this one, I hope a generation from now will be one of those big major eye rolls. Like, can you believe that they used to split by gender? And I will add to your point that because there is a new social embrace of the gender spectrum and you know, there has always been a gender spectrum, but I think we talk about it differently. I think it is being much more widely accepted now socially, which I think is a wonderful thing. Where's a kid to go in a gender separated classroom if there's not a classroom that feels like a fit to them? So I don't think you can be a gender inclusive community that then divides by gender and really make it work. The other thing that we feel is important by teaching all kids about all bodies is that it gives them a sense of how universal so much of puberty is and that there's kind of a stigma in our culture like, oh, girls' puberty sucks. It's so much worse than boys' puberty and girls have it harder and they have, you know, periods and they're so 
moody and blah, 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 blah. But the truth is, A, boys are moody too. B, yes, there are so are. many... <gasps> can confirm. So, we can confirm. There are so many hard things that everybody goes through puberty. Acne, body odor, hair. Do you remove it? Do you not? You know, getting super tall or putting on lots of weight, your body's or not. different every morning or not growing or not gaining weight or, you know, all of those things. So we like to really have everyone appreciate that all puberty is both exciting and difficult, no matter your gender and your body. And so by letting girls know that like erections are really embarrassing and that boys feel really self-conscious when girls or other people talk about their penis size. It's just as hard when people are noticing breast size or things like that. So it's that's sort of the other side of why we think it's important for everybody to learn about everybody's experience. Agreed. Yeah, I think like whenever kids just want to fit in, everything can feel like really awkward and really challenging. And I totally feel for young people when especially now with Snapchat and TikTok and YouTube and just like the idea of constantly comparing yourself to other people, it really wasn't, the, that wasn't really a thing. Like even when I was in middle school, I'm like 15 to 20 years ago, like that just wasn't really like a thing that was as common and challenging, I think, as it is now. So I, I do feel for young people. Totally. It's tough. A premium razor and a clitoral vibrator in one discreet product? What? Why hasn't that been thought of before? Well, Freya did. So you've had a long day and all you want to do is take a flight to Pleasure Town, but ugh, you have to shave before a busy day tomorrow. The game plan? Get an amazing shave with Freya's premium razor filled with aloe and vitamin E shave soap. You can subscribe the replaceable blades for just $9.99 for a four pack. And then, okay, ready for this? Remove the razor head, Hang it on the wall holder, click the power button, and use the handle as a clitoral vibrator. Freya just put the genius in G-Spot. Use code SEXEDWITHDB to get 20% off your Freya now. And for a limited time, you can enter to buy one Freya and get one for your bestie for free. Enter to win at highfreya.com slash sexheadwithdb now. Let me tell you about one of my favorite sex toy shops out there, Lion's Den. If you haven't heard about Lion's Den before, I can't wait to tell you all about them. Lion's Den first opened its retail facility in Columbus, Ohio in 1971. That's right, over 50 years ago. Since then, they have grown to more than 50 outlets throughout the U.S., building its reputation on high-quality products, low prices, and a knowledgeable sales staff. Their staff are also sexual wellness experts who can help you find the perfect toy. One of the many things I love about Lion's Den is that they advocate for a sex-positive perspective on intimacy and sexual well-being and strive to break the stereotypes and stigma surrounding sex by providing comprehensive educational resources to empower everyone to enjoy life to the fullest. They're simply amazing. Lucky for you, Lion's Den is giving my listeners an exclusive discount of 15% off your purchase in-store and online with code sexedwithdb at lionsden.com. What are you waiting for? Get your amazing Lion's Den toy now. Let's play a little fill-in-the-blank game where you have to guess what goes in the blank. Cosmopolitan Magazine called the blank the little black dress of vibrators, and Time Magazine named the blank among the top 10 most influential gadgets of all time. 
even at 50 years old, the blank is still turning heads as the most recommended and best-selling massage wand in America. Any guesses? The answer is the magic wand. It's loved by millions for a reason. It's powerful and hits all the right pleasure points. Want to see what all the fuss is about? Go to sexedwithdb.com slash magic wand to learn more and see how you could win your very own magic wand rechargeable. Let's talk about a lube I absolutely love, UberLube. UberLube makes sex better for everyone by reducing friction and increasing pleasure. Whether you're using it for solo sex, sex with a partner, or both, UberLube has a long-lasting performance that lets skin feel skin. It has simple body and condom-friendly ingredients, is scent and color-free, dissipates when no longer needed so there's no sticky residue, and is recommended by leading doctors. Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. Let's talk about butt acne. Not what you expected me to say, huh? Well, we're here now, so let's get into it. I personally struggle with butt acne, and it really brings down my self-confidence sometimes. One thing that has really helped me is the butt and body scrub by Future Method. Future Method is science-backed and doctor-led, so I know I can trust them. Their quick and gentle exfoliating booty scrub cleanser is great to use on your body and between your butt cheeks. Its doctor-approved ingredients are infused with a refreshing and invigorating hit of citrus, clove, and cedar to soften, smooth, and tone your skin. Get yours now at futuremethod.com and use code SEXED with DB for 15% off at checkout. I want to get into a little bit about research because I think it's really important for us on Sex Ed with DB when we have guests on to be like, okay, like if there is science or if there is research or if there, you know, have been peer-reviewed studies that have come out about this topic, it's important for us, especially if we have a doctor in the house, um, you know, folks that we can ask about their personal expertise, we try to try to cover that. So a question specifically that I have is around what the research says about parents being involved or caregivers being involved when it comes to teaching their kids or helping their kids navigate sex ed and or puberty, you know, like, is there anything harmful about parents being involved? I think folks listening would be curious to know, like, what the research says around that and and what we can gain from understanding that. You know, it's such a great question, and I don't know that sex ed in particular has been studied, but I can give you some data that relates directly. One body of research looks at naming body parts, just knowing anatomical terms and feeling like you can discuss them and describe them openly within a classroom, within a household. Knowing body parts and naming them is associated with the lower risk of being abused or victim of sexual assault or trauma. That is amazing. Why? Why? Because um, first of all, that kid who knows and can name the body parts is a kid that a predator is like, "Uh, I'm out, right? That kid has a certain amount of wherewithal and can protect themselves emotionally in a certain way and can communicate what is happening in a certain way, in a very effective way. And that's the second piece of it is that kid can communicate and can share with the adults in their world what is happening. And they are generally, if they're using the correct anatomical terms, they're considered a a reliable reporter. Mm. So knowing language and using language is very important. It doesn't mean that you always have to walk around your house and only use that language. Like 
you can, there's a lot of room for humor and there's a lot of research that shows that it's just conversation that helps build that trust and that reduces kids' risk. So in my house, in Vanessa's house, yeah, we use the correct anatomical terms. We also use ridiculous terms. We also, right? Like there's all sorts of language that happens. And all of that just messages over and over to our kids. It's all on the table. You can talk to us about any of it. The other thing is there is a lot of data about knowledge being power, but knowledge not leading to behavior. And I I really want to hammer this home because this is not new data. We know that sex education, and you've, I'm sure, covered this every which way, Danielle, sex education does not lead to sex. It leads to education, right? right? It leads to knowledge, and knowledge is power, and it protects you from STDs, and it protects you from unwanted pregnancy, and it protects you from, all, right? It does not, if you sex educate kids, it does not mean that they are going to strip all their clothes off and run and have sex with the first person they can find. In fact, the opposite. In fact, sexual the opposite. Debut, you fact. bet. You bet. And so, because again, knowledge is power. I would argue that the same is true of drug education, right? Um, and there's data about that, that the more kids understand about drugs, the less likely they are to be making either impulsive or not impulsive choices about putting drugs into their body when they've got a developing brain. So that is another piece to answer your question of if parents talk about it and feel comfortable, what's the impact of that? The impact is that it's a piece of the educational journey. That piece of the educational journey is coming from within the home. And we know that education is protective. And I would just add, it doesn't have to be a parent. Um, Uh, It would be great if everybody had a parent who felt comfortable talking about it. But first of all, some people aren't being raised by their parents. Second of all, some people's parents, for whatever reason, it's not a conversation they're able to or feel comfortable having. And so Tina Payne Bryson, who is a wonderful neuroscientist and has written a ton of books about children's brains and teens' brains. She talks about just the power of having one adult that a kid can go to, a parent or not a parent, just someone who is there for them, who's there to have these conversations with them. And so for anyone listening, who is that person to a kid? You know, if you're not their parent, and the kid comes to you and asks you about stuff, you might have to say to the adult, if there is a parent around, hey, so-and-so asked me about this. Is it cool if I talk to them about it? Because they're clearly wondering. And some adults will say, yeah, that's great. And some adults will say, no, I'm sorry, we're not comfortable, at which point you got to... But often adults are in positions to share really important information and to be that person for a kid. And it's so critical and so valuable in a child's life. And I think that the worry about talking about this stuff, it's often very simple. It's often just a sentence or two. It's often just a vocabulary lesson about a body part or a body action. And that's it. It's not an hour long back up the dump trunk and dump it all over. It's only a couple of minutes. And that's it. 
Absolutely. Yeah, this protective factor of having someone, you know, an adult in a kid's life is so powerful and really tangible and very cool that there is research that that show that. It's really important. Okay, we're going to do a little mock exercise here. Um, something that I learned about in public health school at Columbia when I was getting my MPH and, you know, taking like basically a class all about how to teach sex ed, something that we learned and realized is that if a parent is able to practice these kinds of conversations, the more likely they are to actually have the conversation and the better it will go usually when they have it is if they can actually role play in practice. And so I'm going to give you both the task. Um, we have give two- it to Vanessa. This okay. is her superpower. Vanessa, you get both tasks then. So <laughs> I want to hear a mock quote unquote, the talk as if I were a six-year-old girl, right? Asking you what sex is. And then the follow-up to that is what if I was a 13-year-old girl and I kind of needed maybe some more, you know, tangible information that was more relevant to my current life. I'm curious how each of those conversations would be different. So first of all, with a six-year-old, it's actually more likely the question would be, how are babies made? Right. And Cara and I have kind of workshopped our response to that over the last couple of years. So I'm going to let her give her, she has like a one sentence primer. That's awesome. And I would just give some framework for any of these conversations. And then we can give like really specific scripting. The most important thing is to validate that a kid has come to you with this question. So your response is always, always, always. I am so happy that you came to me with this question. Thank you so much for trusting me to ask this important question. Or that's such a great question. What made you ask that, right? If you're wondering why they're asking. So there's a bunch of different ways to respond, but you want to validate that they're coming to you. The second thing is you want to find out what they already know. So if a six-year-old says to you, you know, how are babies made? Or maybe they say, what is sex? Although it's less less likely at that age. You say, that's a great question. What do you know about how babies are made? Or how did you hear about the word sex? And it doesn't sound like, oh my God, how did you hear the word sex? It sounds right. like, oh, how did you hear the word sex, right? Again, we're calm, we're chill. Even if inside we're freaking out, if our six-year-old is using the word sex, or the question might be, how did you, my parents, make me, right? And then you're or like- where did I come from? Or where did I come from? Or, you know, you always want to find out, that's a great question. What makes you ask that, right? You want to find out where they are and what they know before you dive in to answer the right, question. Right, because they may say, oh, because I heard- and then they fill in the blank. And really all they want to know is what they heard is true or false. I heard I was dropped off by the stork. You were not dropped off by a stork. That's a myth. Would you like to know more? Nope. Okay. Right? A six-year-old is going to tell you what they want to know. And if they really want to know, the one-liner that Vanessa and I always use is very simple. What we say is babies are made when something called an egg and something called a sperm joined together and the genes, the material inside that programs a human body to grow and develop combine 
and a baby grows and that baby is born. I mean, it's very basic. It is not, there's actually no conversation about intercourse, IVF, you know, any of it. Because remember, the audience of young kids today aren't just asking, and we'll get into this with the 13-year-old, they're not just asking about sex. They're asking about all sorts of alternative reproduction routes because those are very mainstream. And you can end up going down lots of rabbit holes. So you just want to share the genetic material. There's something called an egg. There's something called a sperm. They come together. The genes combine. And that's the information that a body needs in order to grow and develop into a baby. Simple. And it's also, we keep a lot of the gendered stuff out of it, partially because all different kinds of people can actually grow a baby. And also a lot of babies aren't grown in the parent's body, their surrogates, and they don't necessarily, the sperm and the egg don't necessarily meet inside a body. And kids will get to that question if that's something they're wondering about, if that was the source of the question. But keeping it really simple at first is great. And then you always say, so you use Cara's line and then you say, do you have any questions about that? Or do you have any more questions? Or is there anything about that that wasn't clear, right? Giving them a chance to kind of circle back. With a 13-year-old, so it's more likely it's really, they're really asking about sex. The first thing we have to do is not freak out and assume that our 13-year-old or the 13-year-old we're talking to is having sex, right? So take a deep breath, keep the levels down. Don't freak out because if you freak out, they're never going to want to come back to you and ask that question again. It's such like a pivotal moment that like parents fuck up sometimes. And it's just like that happens all the time and it sucks because kids can sense it and then it impacts the the rest of the way they talk to you. Which is fine because the biggest piece of teaching we do is you will screw up, take the do-over. You can look your kid in the eye and go, I whiffed that one. I've been wondering when you're going to ask me for your entire life. You asked me and I I got that wrong. I want to start over. You could do it five minutes later. You could do it the next day. You could do it a month later. You've never lose the opportunity to take the do-over. And they'll give it to you usually, right? Because they're like, oh, wow, you're apologizing. You're wanting a do-over. I'm in the position of power now. Yes, sure. There's nothing they like better than that. So take a deep breath. Try not to freak out. If you freak out, remember Cara's point. You can always take a do-over. You can acknowledge. You can say, I was super nervous. I was taken by surprise. I wasn't expecting it or I was expecting it, but I didn't have the right language. I'm really sorry. Can we try this again? Great. So if you screw up, don't worry. You always get another chance. Number two, remember the talk about sex is actually not the talk. It's many, 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 many talks over many, 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 many years. So you kind of want to find out what version of the talk they're curious about having. Is it actually about masturbation? Is it actually about penis and the vagina sex? Is it actually about oral sex? Is it about anal sex? Is it about porn? Is it about, you know, hooking up in middle school that's nowhere near actually taking your clothes off? So you want to figure out where they're coming from. And that's when the that's a great question. I'm wondering like where it's coming from. Why are you asking me that? Or, you know, it's time for us to have this conversation. I'm wondering if there's a particular place you want to start, right? So again, figuring out where they are, where are you meeting them? No judgment, even if you're freaking out inside. 
Don't assume they're having sex. Kids are actually having sex later than they used to. And so parents who think the minute their kid turns 14, they're going to start having sex, you know, every day for the rest of their lives. Not true. We can vouch for that. So finding out where they are, keeping calm, having one conversation, do not lecture. Do not, do not, do not lecture. Pick a couple of pieces of information and then find out if they have more questions. And just one last thing, which is six to 13 is a long stretch. Most kids by 13 actually know a lot about sex. Most kids have actually had sex education in school. There are state requirements about what needs to be taught. Doesn't mean that it is taught, but going back to your very first question, what's the most common question we get? One of the most common questions we get is, when should I talk to my kid about sex? And our advice there is, if you want to be the sex educator, you want to be in front of the information. So if you as the adult in their life are hoping to be the one to answer their questions about this, then probably by the time they're somewhere between 11 and 12, you have to have had this conversation because otherwise it generally shows up in school, on the school bus, on the playground, from older siblings by the time they're somewhere in that range. Right. One of the things that we really love that we learn from Shafia Zaloom, who's an amazing sex educator, actually out by you, Danielle, she's oh. in the Bay Area, is taking this opportunity to instill your values about human relationships into the conversation about sex. So getting at things like honesty, like trust, like communication, like love, right? It's not just about yes or no. There are many more layers about being sexual with another person that involve emotions, that involve human dignity and respect and listenership and having a voice and all of those things. And so to start to weave, and again, as you say, this takes practice. This is a muscle that gets built over many years. To start to weave those kinds of values into the conversation on top of the mechanics is only going to serve to deepen that child's understanding of sex as something more than just a bodily act. And really one that's about the emotional life as well as the physical life. Absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's totally layered. And I really like this idea of like, this isn't your one chance. This should be happening multiple times over multiple years for really ever. If like you have a great relationship with your kid or this kid that you're talking to, even if it's not your kid or, you know, there's just so much going on over years and years of a young person's life. And it's great to be able to guide them through whatever they're interested in being guided by you when it comes to that stuff. Listen, we've talked, I've talked your ear off here uh, and asked you a lot of questions. And what, do you all have like 10 more minutes or do you have a hard stop right now? I think we have, Car, we have about five more minutes. Five? Yeah, I think that's yeah. right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I want to know quickly, Cara, the care and keeping of you, right? Like we need to touch on this a bit because this is probably one of the most famous puberty books ever made, I would claim, um, definitely in America for sure. I'm curious to just get your thoughts on what it was like uh, writing those books, uh, what what you like feel like folks gain from them, like just anything you want to share about these very, very famous books that you were involved with. So I'll start by saluting the original author, Valerie Schaefer, who in 1997 
when the very first big study showing that girls were going into puberty earlier than anyone ever realized was headline every major paper in the U.S. She was a a writer at American Girl, the doll company. She was doing some of the, the smart girls guides, the nonfiction line of books. And she took this on and she wrote an incredible book and hit it out of the park. And Valerie is not a physician. She is not a nurse. She is not a public health person. She is just simply a very smart woman and a wonderful communicator who understood the content that kids were hungry for and that they needed to know. Because if their bodies were changing younger, then they needed to have access to this information sooner. And I do feel like it's like the great bingo ball that I pulled in my life working on these books. It's an incredible thing to be part of a book series that is read by millions. It's a daunting thing because there are a lot of pieces I have to answer to. One big question we get is, why no sex information in these books? Big question. And the answer is, these are little books. I hope there's a sex book coming in the series. My editor and I have sort of fantasized that one day there will be a sex book in the series. But isn't it enough for eight to 10-year-olds to learn about hair and body odor and sleep and nutrition? I don't think we have to be everything to everyone in one book. And so that is why it, it was a choice by American Girl early on, and they have stuck with that choice. And I actually think it's the right choice to parse the information. But it's also, you know, because so many people are reading these books, and this is some of the only health education that some of these kids will get, the responsibility weighs heavily. And what we do and don't talk about feels big. And so there are topics today, and we've hit on some of them, you know, like gender, that don't come up in these books. And, you know, is there a place for thinking about how to communicate that content around this time of life? I think there's a big conversation to be had. But right now, what these books cover, they cover beautifully and beautifully well. And I think, you know, I I got to take the baton and it was the most well-written baton and I got to run with it. Oh, that's so special. And just congratulations for all the success and completely agree. I mean, there's definitely so many different spaces where these different kinds of conversations can exist. I mean, you all have your puberty podcast where a lot of those conversations take place. Um, Being able to be on shows like mine where I get to teach a whole new audience of people this information, which leaves me to my my last cue here, uh, which is, you know, where can our followers find you and what is next for you? What are you working on? You can find us at the Puberty Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us at myoomla.com if you want puberty products that solve the pain points of puberty and growing bodies. You can I call find it puberty us, merch. Puberty <laughs> merch. Um, and on that actually is a puberty portal with content written by and for tweens and teens about the very wide range of experiences. You can find our book in October. This is so awkward. And you can TikTok. find us on TikTok, My Umla, and Spilling the Puberty, our two Best TikTok channels. Cara came up with that. It's yeah, like her favorite. It's so she's, good. Like, she's like a mad punster. I'm into it. And also on Instagram, My Umla and the Puberty Podcast both have channels 
So find us, send us emails, thepubertypodcast at gmail.com, requests for episodes, questions about stuff you're hoping we'll cover, any of that stuff. We're very engaged and we love hearing from listeners. We do an episode every Friday that is derived from a listener question called Now What? Like I have the information, but what do I do with it? So please send us questions via DM or email, or you can send it to DB and she'll find us. I sure will. And um, yeah, we love to engage with our listeners because everybody is on this journey and it is long and it is tiring and it is fun. So if we do it together, it's even more fun. Fantastic. Thank you both so much for being on. Vanessa and Cara, it has been such a pleasure having you. Thank you. Thank you. Our creator, host, and executive producer is me, Danielle Bezalel, aka DB. Our co-producer and communications lead is Katherine Cohen. Our co-producer is Brian Peoples. Our social media intern is Sarah Kelly. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds. Thank you so much to our featured guests, partners, and our listeners. Want to advertise with us? Email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on IG at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. See you next time.